please give a warm round of applause to Kate and Miriam. Thank you so much, David. Um, if I lived here, I would be at all of these upcoming events. Um, I want to especially plug this event on Wednesday. Uh, Mika Perks was actually my first creative writing professor when I was an undergrad in college, and then she became my mentor, and then she became my boss, and now we're friends. Like, we've had all these different relationships, and she's a wonderful novelist. This is a great book. There's like seven or eight chairs up here. Yes. So thank you, everybody, for coming. This is such a beautiful turnout. Um, yeah, there's a couple. Oh, someone can come right in front of me. Um, so I'm Kate Schatz. This is Miriam Kleinstahl. And we've come down from the Bay Area to see you guys. Um, we are here to share Rad Women worldwide with you. Um, we also are the, as he said, the author and illustrator of Rad American Women A to Z. This book came out about a year and a half ago, and it tells 26 stories of fascinating, empowering, inspirational, badass women from American history. Uh, and we followed it up with this book, which tells 40 stories of fascinating, inspiring, badass women from 30 different countries. So we've gone to every continent all over the world and have spanned all of time <laughs> to bring you uh, these 40 stories. Uh, tonight, um, we decided, since we know so many rad women in Los Angeles, we've invited some people to um, participate with us tonight. So you're not just going to hear me standing up here talking, which... Maybe okay, but we have some special guests tonight. Um, because I'm a Virgo, and also our two special, two of our special guests are also Virgos, I like to know how everything is going to go. So just so you know, you're going to hear three stories from the book, uh, and then we have an amazing song that's going to be performed. Uh, and then we are happy to do a Q&A if anybody has questions, and then we'll be signing books. Okay? I always get anxious if I don't know exactly how things are going to go, which makes life in general challenging. But what I'm going to be doing. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, sure, why not? <laughs> I don't really like speaking at these things, so I'm going to do an art demonstration up here for you, and it's going to be um, on that screen. You can see what I'm doing. And um, in our book, uh, they're all paper cuts, so they're all cut. All the um, art's cut from a single wow. piece of black paper. Oh. I love when everybody gasps. That's my favorite. Oh, so, um, so there it is in the book. This is our connected, like this is Josephine Baker in our book, and her eyebrow doesn't actually go all the way over to her hair, but I have to figure out like how to keep everything connected. So um, tonight, I'm going to cut out Frank, a local L.A. legend, yeah. PH and a hard C, Jewish lesbian folk singer and punk rocker from the 70s and surfer, and um, I wish he was here. Um, who knows? But um, I'm going to cut this out up here from this picture. I made a drawing with pencil on here. And um, I'm going to cut it out while people are doing things. So you can check in on me. And a fun fact about uh, this new book is that Miriam did a lot of the illustrations for this new book um, while we were doing on tour for this last book. So I would be up here doing my spiel, and she'd be there doing the art. So that Josephine Baker piece she actually did while I was doing an assembly for like 300 seventh graders um, in the desert by Palm Springs. Um, also, my best friend from high school's here. Hey, best friend from high school. All right. I'd like to also say my only friend from high school. But um, that's his family, and there's some chairs up here. There's some chairs right up here. Yeah. Come on, family. Girls to the front, and guys, and best friends from high school, everybody. Um, all right, so our first guest reader tonight um, 
is, so we've got two beautiful guest readers. Um, our first guest reader is the managing editor of Kaya Press, um, and that is Neela Banerjee. And then after Neela, we are going to have uh, the fabulous writer and high school teacher and author of the forthcoming memoir, Mean, out on Coffeehouse Press next year, uh, Miriam Gerba. And then I'll read. So this is Neela Banerjee, everybody. And oh, wait, I forgot to say one thing. Uh, uh, at these events, I'm trying to have sto uh, share stories from the book that kind of show uh, the different time periods and parts of the world that we're covering. So we're going to start uh, in the 17th century. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this book. I bought the first one like a million times for all kinds of people. All right. So we're gonna, I'm going to tell the story of Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. Here's the beautiful picture. Um, who was born November 12th, 1651 in Tepetlixpa, Mexico, and died in April 17th, 1695 in Mexico City. There's a quote at the beginning. What then is the evil in my being a woman? Most people, even those we consider geniuses, are educated in school. They learn from teachers, in classrooms, and study halls. But one of Mexico's most brilliant minds was quite different. Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz was totally self-taught. For a young girl growing up with a single mother in 17th century Mexico, that's a pretty remarkable feat. Sor Juana was born Juana Ramirez during the time of Spanish colonial rule. As a very young girl, she sneaked books from her grandfather's library and taught herself to read and write. By age three, she could read and write in Latin. By five, she knew complex math. By eight, she was writing poetry. By the time she was a teenager, she knew Greek logic and had learned to write in Nahuatl, an Aztec language. Desperate for more education, she begged to be allowed to disguise herself as a boy so she could attend college. Soon, Sor Juana caught the attention of regional leaders who couldn't believe the stories they heard about this gifted girl. The viceroy, a leader who represents the king, assembled a group of leading scholars to test her intelligence. At 17, Sor Juana appeared before these esteemed men. They quizzed her on literature, science, mathematics, and philosophy, and she answered every question correctly. That's pretty rad. Amazed, the viceroy offered to support Sorwana financially so she could continue to study and learn. She entered a convent and became a nun because she longed to have no fixed occupation which might curtail my freedom to study. In the peace of the convent, Sorwana pursued her true passions, reading, writing, and studying. Sorwana wrote plays, poems, and stories which the viceroy had published in Spain. She wrote everything from romance to comedy to religious texts and collected a library said to have been the largest in the new world. One of Sorwana's key themes was knowledge and how important it was for women to have access to it. But her supporters wanted Sorwana to focus only on religious writing and to leave the philosophical and political ideas alone. In response, she wrote what is considered her most famous text, Respuesta a Sor Filioti, or Answer to Sister Filioti, 
In this letter, Sor Juana passionately defends the right of all women to learn and study. She notes famous educated women from history and echoes the words of St. Teresa of Avila with the comment, one can perfectly well philosophize while cooking supper. This letter is considered the first feminist text of the New World. Sor Juana's former convent is now a university that bears her name, and her face appears on Mexican coins and paper currency. Yes. Our next reader is Miriam Gerba. Hey, Miriam. <laughs> Hi, Miriam. And we obviously are super psyched about the Miriamness, so it only makes sense that she's going to read to you. We about... were on book tour together. Yeah. It was fun every few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> are there any other Miriams here? Oh, how disappointing. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to read um, Miriam Makeba. <laughs> So I'm very excited, the triple M, three M, okay. Apartheid, a word that means apart, was a strict form of segregation that kept white and non-white South Africans separate between 1948 and 1994. The world-famous singer Miriam Makeba used her voice to tell the world about it. When Zenzila Miriam Makeba was just an infant, her mother a healer and a house cleaner, was caught illegally selling beer, and the two were thrown into prison. Miriam spent the first six months of her life in jail. Miriam's family was poor, and after her father died, she had to work as a domestic servant. But luckily, Miriam had music, which she described as a type of magic that helped her through the tough times. Her township was filled with the sounds of African music like Kwela and Marabi and Western styles like big band, gospel, and jazz. At 13, she won a singing contest and began to perform at weddings. Soon, she was touring with several singing groups, always performing separate shows for blacks and whites. In 1959, Miriam got a small part in an anti-apartheid movie. She won an award for her performance and traveled to Venice, Italy to receive it. This infuriated the South African government. They did not want citizens criticizing their policies. When Miriam tried to return home, she learned that South Africa had canceled her passport. She could not go back. She was in exile. Miriam was devastated. In London, she met the popular singer and activist Harry Belafonte. She traveled to America with him and became an overnight sensation. Before she knew it, she was performing alongside Marilyn Monroe for President John F. Kennedy's birthday in New York City. A natural performer with amazing vocal range, Miriam drew people in with her emotional delivery. She sang in African languages, and she had her own distinct style. She didn't wear makeup and wore traditional clothes, head wraps, and jewelry. She kept her hair natural, which became known as the Afro look. In 1967, she became the first black woman to have a top 10 worldwide hit with Pata Pata, and she released dozens of albums. 
In the 1980s, her collaboration with musician Paul Simon brought the music and stories of Africa to even more listeners. Miriam toured all over the world entertaining and speaking out against injustice. She testified about apartheid in front of the United Nations, and South Africa responded by banning her records and canceling her citizenship. In 1990, activist leader Nelson Mandela was released from prison in time for his 70th birthday. He convinced Miriam to finally return to South Africa, and she did. Her people welcomed her with open arms, calling her Mama Africa. After she passed away, Mandela told the world, Miriam's music inspired a powerful sense of hope in all of us. Thank you to, I guess, it's really fun to hear other people read this, um, I have to say. Um, okay, so those are two of the women that you will learn about uh, in this book. Uh, as I said, this spans all of the continents. Um, we have a map in the front that Miriam did cut. So this is a paper cut of the entire world, all these little islands. Um, and the book is structured, um, it's not alphabetical and it's not chronological. We structured it um, kind of as a journey around the world. Um, so we begin, and I'm, I'm not going to read this entire story, but I want to acknowledge where the book begins because the idea for this came from Anna Joy Springer, who's here. Yeah, and uh, the very first story in the book is the story of Enhidwana, who is the first known author, an ancient Sumerian priestess and poet. Um, so the book begins uh, in Mesopotamia, where we began, uh, and then it goes out from there around the world. If you want to know the story, you'll have to buy the book. Also, I can't find any pictures on the internet of her. She's, you know, 9,000 years old. So um, I used Anna Joy. Oh. Well, I thought of Anna Joy. It's meant to be Anna Joy. Look, that's you. <laughs> um, uh and so I wanted to read um, a piece that I wrote that's at the end of the book. Um, if you've read the first book, uh, Rad American Women A to Z, we have a page uh, for the letter X, where X is for the women whose names we don't know. And it's kind of a tribute to uh, the nameless and faceless women who've done amazing things all throughout history, um, but who aren't going to get famous, right? Who aren't going to get the credit for it for many, many reasons. And I thought about that a lot in writing this book, and I, we wrote this um, during the fall and winter of 2015 when the refugee and migrant crisis was really kind of at its peak. Um, it's certainly still continuing and has been happening for a long time, but it was at a particular moment when it was all over the news. And I was thinking a lot as I learned about these different countries and researched these particular histories, I thought about all of the people who um, have no country and have no state. Um, and so this is um, at the end of the book, and uh, it's called The Stateless. What is a country, a homeland, a nation... What is a border? Is it a river, an ocean, a line on a map? One in every 122 humans on earth is a refugee, displaced person, or asylum seeker. What does it mean to be from a place or to be foreign, to belong, to not belong? You're born where you're born, forest or desert, mountain or coast, a house, a hut, a tent, a shelter, a refugee camp. One in every 122 humans has no place. Where did you come from? What body? What people? Who holds you there? Whose mouth speaks your language? How did I get here? 
How did you get there? Of the 60 million forcibly displaced people in the world, almost 80% are women and children. They leave their homes, cities, and countries due to war, violence, discrimination, hunger, environmental catastrophe. Immigrant, refugee, migrant, homeless, placeless, stateless, human. They fled Eastern Europe, Northern Africa, the Middle East, South Sudan, Central America. Over fences underground, facing soldiers, police, militias, smugglers, traffickers, border patrol, seeking safety, food, education, asylum, acceptance, citizenship, escaping from Burma, Syria, Afghanistan, Eritrea, Mexico, Somalia, Turkey, Ukraine, Guatemala, Iraq. A world without war, a night without bombs, a school without guns, a day without gangs, a chance, a home, a life. They say goodbye to friends, families, schools, and jobs, and set out in the hope that somewhere, somehow, they will find a new place. Sometimes they leave with their entire families. Sometimes husbands and fathers have been lost to war and fighting. Millions of mothers walk in the cold dark, babies on backs and children in arms. They soothe them in boats as they cross black seas, sing lullabies in tents in dangerous camps. They flee while pregnant, give birth on roads, cradle new hope. They keep going. Will they turn her away? Is there room on the land, in our hearts? Forced out of Ireland, Congo, Germany, Cuba, have to leave Palestine, Serbia, Vietnam, Cambodia. They pass babies over fences into someone else's hands, send daughters across deserts, away from the wars they're born into, cross deserts and oceans to new lands. And sometimes they arrive at train stations and airports to eager crowds with shoes and coats, meals and toys, diapers and books, signs that say welcome in unfamiliar languages, classrooms and books, the chance to dream, have a future. What does it mean to help, to accept, to be a friend, a neighbor, a sister? No human being is illegal. Who belongs? Who helps? We do. And that is the end of that piece. Um, and um, and I wanted to give a shout out to um, an organization, um, you know, ending that with the idea of who helps, we do. Um, there's a lot of really wonderful organizations out there that are working to support refugees around the world. Um, there's one in particular that I wanted to let people know about. It's called Circle of Health International, um, and they provide health care uh, for women and babies in the world's most dangerous places by bringing midwives and training midwives um, in war zones, detention camps, um, and uh, refugee camps around the world. Um, they're based in Austin, Texas, um, and again, they're called Circle of Health International, and they're doing really incredible work bringing um, necessary health care right to women and babies. So they're the group that I want to make sure people know about. Um, so change of tone slightly. Um, for our uh, for independent bookstore day, which started as California bookstore day and now has gone nationwide, uh, we did a limited edition little seven inch record uh, that is based on our first book, Rad American Women A to Z, and it features an amazing song written by the fantastic Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs, um, uh, currently of the band Bouquet, formerly of the band The Finches, whose songs still get stuck in my head, I was telling her. Uh, and she actually wrote this book, or wrote this song about our book and performed it at a reading we did in Berkeley, and we were like, oh my god, this has to become a real thing. We need to do something, and now 
uh, it's on a record, and she's going to play it. It does require some singing along, um, so there's a little bit of call and response. You are going to get ready. You're going to have to uh, yell some stuff. Ready? All right. Yes. Fun fact about Carolyn. A lot of fun facts about Carolyn. Also a Virgo, as I mentioned. Yeah. Former student of Miriam, which... Uh, if you knew Miriam, you'd know that's not unusual. Miriam has taught, like, everyone ever. Uh, she teaches at Berkeley High and has for way longer than you would think. How long? 22. 22 years, right? Okay. Uh, and also, then we went to college together. Yeah. So, fun facts. You ready? Uh, yeah. Ready to jam? String. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that intro. <laughs> um, I'm going to turn a little reverb on. Um, yeah, I'm from Berkeley, as Kate mentioned, so, you know, this song has some call and response, as most <laughs> Berkeley jams do. <laughs> it comes at the end, and I'll, I'll give you guys a heads up, but you know, if you don't feel like yelling, just don't. It's, it's like body's choice, as my friend says. Oh my god. Okay, cool. I will try to not do it super fast. Okay. Oh yeah. I know you're a Virgo. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Since I'm not reading from this book, this song is going to tell you about everybody in this book. Okay. A is for Angela. Always after justice for all. B is for Billie Jean, breaking boundaries with a tennis ball. C is for Carol, comedian extraordinaire. D is for Dolores, demanding rights for workers fair and square. And X is for... And X is for... E is for Ella, affecting change through civil rights. F is for Flojo, fastest woman in the world, so tight. G is for the Grimka sisters, gutsy abolitionists. H is for Hazel, hella multi-talented genius. Berkeley. X is for... And X is for... I is for Isadora, innovating modern dance. J is for Jovitas, journalistic excellence. K is for Kate, kicking out the gender norm. H-I-J-K-L. Uh, L is for Lucy, leading labor rights reform. And X is for... And X is for... M is for Maya, making monumental sculptures. N is for Nellie, news reporting her adventures. O is for Odetta, oh freedom spread the word and song. P is for Patty, punk rock poet, playwright, and grandma. And X is for... And X is for... 
is for Queen Bessie, quest across the world in flight. R is for Rachel, raised ecology to common light. S is for Sonia, serving justice so supreme. T is for Temple, taking charge to change a ranching scene. And X is for... And X is for... U is for Ursula, upheaving science fiction tropes. V is for Virginia, visionary, surgeon, giving hope. W is for Wilma, wise and bold as the first female chief. X is for the women whose stories we will never read. Y is for Yuri, yes she fought for rights of everyone. Z is for Zora, zealous writer, but we've only just begun. We've only just begun. Thank you. There are only 26 letters in the alphabet. There are millions of rad women whom we don't have songs about yet. X is for the women whose voices weren't heard. X is for the women whose names we didn't learn. X marks the spot where we stand today. What will you do to make the world rad? Let me hear you say Stand up for justice, stand up for justice Show the world what you can do, show the world what you can do Believe in yourself and others, believe in yourself and others We can be rad too we can be rad too. We can be rad. We can be rad. We can be radical. We can be radical. We will be rad too. We will be rad too. And we are rad. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thanks a lot. to my lovely, lovely assistant, Kate, and thank you for inviting and David and there were at one point really amazing t-shirts that said we can be radical. Do you still have them? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. There's some t-shirts that say we can be radical. Um, speaking of t-shirts, just so you know, we do have some merch here. Um, it's some really exciting t-shirts and some tote bags and things. Um, but I'll mention that again in a second. Um, Miriam, how's your cut? Um, I'll show you. All right. We started with just that black piece of paper. And now... Dun, da, da, da. Right? Yeah! Um, so we have a couple minutes um, to take some questions if anybody has any questions. Um, uh, and then Throw we will. Hill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, anybody have any questions? Yes. Um, there was only one woman I didn't get. 
I'm, I'm like an educated person, so I was like really okay. focused on getting this. Was a, a Latina journalist that oh, yeah. um, before K somewhere, I think? Yes. And I just was wondering if you could educate me a tiny bit. So I yeah, so this is uh, Jovita Idar. Um, in our first book, and she was a journalist and a nurse and an educator uh, on the in Laredo, Texas, on the Texas-Mexico border uh, in the early 20th century. And she is really one of the people who was one of the first to create uh, uh, bilingual education. Um, she was writing uh, lesson plans uh, for Spanish-speaking students um, way before anybody else. And she was also a journalist. Her father ran a newspaper called La Cronica, um, and when her dad died, she took over. Um, fun story about her is at one point um, uh, she published a story that was critical of the Woodrow Wilson administration and the Texas Rangers not the baseball team but the actual Texas Rangers uh, stormed her printing press and tried to uh, shut it down and she the story goes that she stood in the doorway and defended it and wouldn't let them in um, they came back later and did destroy the shop but she continued to publish the newspaper um, she worked as a nurse um, uh, in, in the war and uh, was really incredible but really a phenomenal educator who found that uh, Spanish-speaking Mexican children in Texas were being dramatically underserved, right? Some things have changed, some things haven't. Uh, and she pressed and pressed to get, um, you know, desks and chairs for them uh, and to get a lesson plan curriculum that they could understand. And since she didn't get it, she created it herself. And I'm going to sneak another question. Double question. You had a beautiful poetic piece you read at the end. Because your words were so beautiful, I didn't. I was just like totally like not even. So, what were you talking about? Can you summarize? Oh, uh, uh, at, the, at the very end, yeah. um, I was talking about um, the uh, women and children around the world who are stateless, who are refugees, who are um, who are on the move um, and being forced out of a number of countries and homelands um, due to war, environmental catastrophe, um, repressive regimes, uh, etc. Um, and again, the statistic that I was very shocked to learn. Um, is that 80% of the 60 million, there's 60 million people in the world who are con, um, considered by the United Nations displaced um, people or refugees, and uh, 80% of that figure is women and children. So one in 100 people. Uh, one, in one, one in 122. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yes. I just want to say I'm because I hear everything about Syria. And the solutions and the people, the people are going to have to leave. And in and, and Europe, there's so many countries that people take them or can't take them. Yep. And so it's a real problem. And I just, for me as a woman, it's just, uh, it's just hard to have, to handle the anger that I feel at uh, uh, patriarchal system. Anyway, I just appreciate Thank you. There are, there's so many women that, of course, Thank you. One other attempt to get more people into the book um, is that at the end of the book, um, there's a list of 250 more women from almost every country in the world. Um, just their name and what they're known for. I didn't actually write the story of all of them. But um, for those who feel like they want to find out about more women, you can do your own research um, by looking up these people who are listed in the back of the book, which I did at the last minute I was done with the book and I was like, I need to put more people in this book. So I, I, I did that. Um, uh, yes? Excellent. So um, we started the research really last summer um, and probably did, I'd say, researched it all the way through December. And I wrote it mostly in um, uh, October, November, December. I did the writing of it pretty fast, but took more time with the research. Um, 
In terms of sources, it ranged from everything from traditional research, going to the library, getting books, um, both books about um, you know history and you know women from around the world, but also biographies, um, autobiographies, and different narratives. Um, I also watched a lot of documentaries um, for women who, where it was available, I would watch um, you know look on YouTube to see if I could find footage of them performing or giving speeches, anything like that. Um, and then I certainly used the internet as well. Um, and I also did a lot of reaching out to people, um, both to get ideas. So for instance, I mentioned that Anna Joy was the one, when she heard we were doing this book, she said, you have to put Enhedwana in this book. She's someone I had never heard of. Um, so I had not heard of a lot of people in this book. Um, and a lot of the names did come to us from uh, people who would come to our events and have suggestions, or people who would email us and say, hey, have you heard about this person? Um, but with the worldwide book, I really wanted to be reaching out to people from other countries and cultures. Um, with the American one, it was not easy to choose, but that's where I'm from. That's the history that I know. Um, but I really wanted to get input from as many people as I could around the world for who they'd like to see in the book. Um, and then another part of my research was once I'd done the writing, I worked for months to reach out to people who are either scholars on that person, um, or if the person is alive, I would I tried to contact them or living relatives to have them review it and make sure that it was accurate. I felt like my facts and details were accurate, but I wanted cultural accuracy as well. Um, so some of them, like we have a story about Wangari Mathai, the Kenyan environmental activist, um, and I was able to get in touch with her daughter, and her daughter read it and you know gave the thumbs up. Um, and I was able to get in touch with like we have Buffy Saint Marie, um, and she read the piece about her and you know changed like one little detail. Um, so that was the really important to me too. So again, then for people more ancient like Sorwana, who we heard about tonight, there's a woman who's a leading scholar on her, and I contacted her and had her review the work, um, which was an important part of the research because, you know, especially when you're using the internet, and especially when you're dealing with people who are more obscure figures, you know, I, it's it's really hard to find that information. Sometimes so the internet wasn't right. Oh, occasionally, <laughs> <laughs> the internet is often not right. So so yeah, a wide range of sources. Yes. Um, I was wondering, so you, so you just went global, and I don't think you can go into planetary. <laughs> right, um, we have to scale back a bit. <laughs> I also had a follow-up question, which mm -hmm. was, um, if any women included, and maybe in the back page, Yep. Um, so in the first book, um, K is for Kate Bornstein, the transgender activist and playwright um, and general badass. Um, none of the women in Rad Women Worldwide um, that are in the 40 stories are. And no, I do know, I think, I'm trying to think of a few women in the list in the back. Um, though I would say that, you know, some of the Sylvia ancient... Sylvia Rivera's in the back. Sylvia Rivera's in the back. Um, uh, you know... I do think that there's some interesting gender like nonconformity in some of the older stories. Um, we hear about Sorwana, you know, not to conflate um, wardrobe with gender identity, but there's some interesting stories about um, how the women worked with gender. Um, the story of Hatshepsut, uh, the pharaoh um, who wanted to be king and had herself portrayed um, uh, with with male the male body and all this interesting stuff. So we touch on that. The pirate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, and the inclusion of Kate Bornstein in this first book um, is a bit of a you know where we have gotten some criticism, some angry 
one-star Amazon reviews from people who are not happy to see that. Um, but uh, what we also get way more than one-star Amazon reviews um, about that is we get really amazing feedback from people who a lot of parents of trans children um, and then young trans readers who've gotten in touch with us to say how much it means to them to see that representation. So in future books, yeah, we'll definitely continue to, to have that kind of representation. Up with, to us and said this was an entryway to talk to my family. Mm -hmm. Which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was very special. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Mm. Yes, that was. Um, yeah, that was a really um, that I just thinking about how people have reacted. I did. A, um, I was visiting a fifth grade classroom um, in the Tenderloin in San Francisco last year, and. There was this girl kind of in the back of the room who was like pretty checked out and like, you know, whatever, who's this weird white lady reading this book about, you know, she's just like really, you know, just kind of not not feeling it. Um, and then I opened to the page of Wilma Mankiller and read just a little, just kind of described briefly who she was and the girl just sits up and she goes, is she Native American? And I said, yeah, you know, she was the first uh, chief of the Cherokee tribe, first female chief. And the girl goes, I'm Native American. And it was just like, like the change in her face, right, was that moment where you realize, especially for young readers, how much it means to see themselves, people who look similar, who have similar names, who have similar hair, similar skin, reflected in, in the pages of books. Um, and it was like, she was just like with me for the rest of the, the reading and um, was really psyched. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to have... make the $20 bill, too. Yeah, I, I voted for her on the 20 um, But yeah, I'm really happy to have her, too. This was a really exciting story to tell. Wilma. Excellent. Yes. Um, so the um, I, the really great screen show too that you're doing. The uh, Gorilla Girls. It's you know the, the, I don't know it's the mystery of them and you know but like what are they happening with the Gorilla Girls? They oh. fascinate. So the Gorilla Girls. Um. So uh, the Gorilla Girls are in our new book. Um, and they're still totally active. So the Gorilla Girls are... Do you get to become an honorary Gorilla Girl? Uh -huh. What's the secret? I, I don't know. It is still secret. The Gorilla Girls are a group of anonymous, anonymous. artists uh, who since the, um, really since 1985, um, have been agitating in the art world um, and in the creative world for increased representation of women artists and artists of color. Um, standing outside museums, sneaking into museums, wheat pasting posters, putting up billboards. Um, just being an amazing presence, all the while wearing um, gorilla masks um, and, and maintaining uh, anonymity. Um, and they actually, just a few months ago, were on the Stephen Colbert show. They were on Late Night with Colbert in their gorilla masks, um, being awesome. So they're actually still totally active. We've been in touch with... They're still active, and they redid all the statistics from the 80s, thinking, oh, things have, must have gotten better for women artists, and they got worse. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So. yeah like the amount of women that get into museum shows, like major museums... Um, and collected is less than in the 80s now. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're still totally active. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys so much for coming. Um. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.